With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And welcome to the Boomer and the Babe Show. This is Pete Peters. Deborah Brown's not with us today. It is Thursday, January 24th, 2013, and our guest is waiting for us on the line, and we're going to get to him very shortly. It's 11 o'clock here in Phoenix, Arizona, 10 o'clock on the West Coast, and 1 o'clock just after lunch on the East Coast. Uh, Just want to let everybody know that we had a great day yesterday. We were out at the TPC Scottsdale, the 16th hole. Uh, As people came through, they got to take a shot and try to beat the pro, and we were broadcasting that uh, for a marathon broadcast yesterday, about six and a half, seven hours worth of broadcasting, and we're going to have that edited, but it's still up nonetheless on the archive as we speak. And you can hear that by going to blogtalkradio.com slash boomer and babe and see the TPC in the title of the two episodes that are there. Uh, as I said, it's not edited yet, so some of the dead air is uh, is still in it, but we're going to have to take that down and redo that. As I said, this is the Boomer the Babe show brought to you by Boomer the Babe Incorporated. We also have a website. Boomerandthebabe.com invites you to go there and sign up, get on the waiting uh, on the mailing list, and you will receive our Boomer Experience Speaks online magazine free every four to six weeks, uh, and all kinds of articles in there written by people that have been guests on the show and some of the other people that we work with as well. All that having been said, uh, I want to welcome to the program today our guest. Uh, our guest is Mr. Uh, Joe Winky. Joe Winky has written a book called You've Got to Be Kidding. And uh, I'm going to read briefly the information that I have about this. Uh, I guess he is called a cultural arsonist uh, for his literal reading of the Bible. It says, uh, move over, Book of Mormon, here comes the Book of Joe. Uh, When it comes to the Bible, author, satirist, and cultural arsonist Joe Winky has a lot of questions. Why did God turn Lot's wife into a pillar of stone? Were there no other seasonings available? How come no one noticed that Samson's hair grew back and he was super strong again? Who lost Jesus' baby book? The story of the devil tempting Jesus, was it written by the devil or Jesus? Which one reported on it? And why does the Holy Spirit always like to show up as a bird? So we're going to try to get some of the answers to some of those questions. Joe Winky, welcome to the Boomer the Babe Show. How are you today? Hi there. I'm doing great. Uh, Thanks for having Uh, me on. 
Well, I'm glad you could make it. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a fun hour. I can I can see that coming just by having read some portions of the book and and yes. uh, some of the things that they sent us. Uh, by way of uh, introduction, can you just give us some information about yourself, uh, your background? Uh, go back as far as you like. If Deborah were here, she would call it her two-minute movie, uh, sure. kind of laser beam style, and, and, and let us know who and what Joe Winky is all about. Sure. Well, um, I was raised Catholic, born in South Philadelphia, oldest of 11 children, back in you know the days of, uh, appropriately, the baby boomer generation. Uh, Catholic schools in those days were sort of like uh, the schools that George Carlin described so often and so uh, funnily in his act. I mean, it was all about uh, corporal punishment and memorizing answers to uh, catechism questions. So I, I was sort of subjected to that early on. And uh, ironically, though, I ended up questioning everything as a result of that. And so I was looking, actually, for a way to to give voice to all of this questioning for a long time, uh, feeling that, you know, these days we get so much information, people aren't that interested in reading fiction. And so, you know, how do you write compellingly about something people could uh, really care about and not be, a, you know, a war journalist or whatever, traveling around uh, the world? And I came up with this idea one day of writing about the Bible, and it was just really strange how it occurred. I just I woke up one day, the thought occurred to me, I'm going to read the Bible, and when I find something funny, I'm going to write about it. Went over to the kitchen table where my laptop was sitting, downloaded an electronic version of the Bible, started reading, got to the Adam and Eve story, and I wrote the first sketch. So uh, that's how it came up, and I, I just proceeded to write over 70 sketches like I was writing emails. And the premise of the book really is if you read the Bible literally in the 21st century, you have a sense of humor, you're smart, you're educated, what you get is satire, not fundamentalism. And, you know, so in short, my whole life is sort of leading up to this moment when I found the right way to, to write about things that are, I, I think are important to people. And, uh, you know, these days, the Bible comes up all the time in political discussions. People use it a lot of the time to justify their own bigotry. And I just thought this would be a great way of approaching that whole topic. So long story short, I've always been a writer. I was a speechwriter for CEOs. I own a, an event marketing company. But to me, it's always been about writing. And I sort of feel I finally found the right way to approach that. Well, I uh, I also am somewhat bemused, shall we say. I guess that's a good word to use, by the way, some of the political, uh, political uh, people uh, start falling on that book yeah. uh, uh, with regard to staking out their claim to a various position. Uh, and uh, it's and I don't mean to sound sacrilegious in saying this, but it's sort of like going to the Internet. You can find something in there uh, that will support your point of view regardless of what it is. Absolutely. You, you always find what you're looking for. And uh, if you're looking in the Bible and you believe that God, the creator of the universe, is the secret author behind the whole thing, and you find something that uh, you think supports your particular point of view, then you know, you've got some heavyweight support on your side with, with the deity. So I'm sort of questioning all of that. Well, I can remember years ago when my daughter, who is uh, an adult and has a family of her own, was in middle school. And we had one of those uh, 
to teach your nights, you know, where you went. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was actually it was her freshman year of high school, and uh, and we went around and met the teachers, and we walked into this one uh, science teacher's class, and the, she has a refrigerator in there with which I'm sure had all kinds of nice, wonderful specimens and so on, and then a big sign pasted up on the taped up on the refrigerator was the sign that said "Question Authority." And I looked at that and I said, I think this is a good teacher for my daughter because <laughs> she she questions a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, you know, that's very healthy. And um, I think we really have to question everything and figure stuff out for ourselves, not take other people's word for it. And, you know, what you think is important and what you say and do is even more important. And I think it should all be based on independent thinking. Well, and, and the thing of it is nowadays, and I don't want to get too far into it this on this side of the discussion, but uh, I'm finding that fewer and fewer people are capable of an independent thought. They will read the they will read the talking points. They will read whatever the hacks are saying, and so on and so forth, and that will become their gospel with regard to that topic, whatever it might be, and they will swear by it, and because somebody else said it, and it was on the internet, and it must be right. Well, exactly. I take the opposite point of view. I don't really care what I think, so why should I care what you think? You know, I mean, my point of view on that is really I don't take myself too seriously, so why should I mm-hmm. simply accept what you have to say to me? And I also think humility is a great sign of intelligence, and arrogance is a sign of the opposite. Mm-hmm. So think for yourself. That's sort of the, the point of view of the book. And if you can do it with humor, uh, all the better. Yeah, more power to you. Absolutely. Well, let's get into a couple things that are uh, that are in the book here. I, I've I've got some some items that were sent to me in, mm-hmm. in preparation by your folks uh, uh, that represent you. And uh, one of the things uh, we've already kind of touched on, and the, the fact that your inspiration for the satirical outlook uh, uh, on the fundamental piece of literature, and we've kind of touched on that. Uh, and you said you woke up one morning and kind of like, there it was. Yeah, it was really kind of strange uh, because I'd never had that thought before. I never thought about writing about uh, the Bible. And, you know, and I was pretty familiar with it from having been brought up Catholic, although the Catholic Church, they typically focus on the New Testament. But I had absorbed an awful lot of that. And despite my uh, my intense dislike for the early parochial school education, I ironically had gone all the way through. I actually ended up getting a Ph.D., Mm-hmm. Uh, and my bachelor's was at the University of Notre Dame, and uh, I took an extensive course in, in Bible literature there. So it's pretty well educated in Bible, but I had never gone back from my current point of view and actually read it cover to cover, which I think is also true of a lot of people who quote the Bible. And um, what I found was uh, a lot of surprises. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that you wouldn't normally think was in there, a lot of really weird, crazy, absurd stuff. And even the well-known stories come across a little differently when you when you see them with new eyes. For example, the first story, as I said, that I thought was kind of funny, Adam and Eve, everybody thinks they know that, but when I went back to read it, I was surprised to find out that it was really probably, well, definitely the first instance of what I would call the blame game in all of history. You know, Adam and Eve eat a piece of fruit. God told them not to eat it. God gets mad. Oddly, God goes looking for them but can't find them, even though he's God. They're hiding behind some trees. Adam figures, well, I guess he'll find us eventually, comes out. Uh, God's very angry, blames Adam for eating the fruit. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the snake. The snake has nobody to blame. He's the fall guy. 
And then uh, we have, of course, uh, God's reaction to all of this, which is kind of extreme. Uh, he invents death, which has had a big impact. I mean, think of how many people have died as a result of that one decision. That, that one decision. That, 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 that's right. So I was wondering, too, you know, was that a sin for God to create death? I mean, really, uh, I wouldn't have done that just because somebody ate a piece of fruit. And then in addition, he uh, he makes Adam Eve's boss. He basically says men are the boss of women for all time, which is a still a popular idea uh, among fundamentalists. Uh, life is going to be miserable. Everybody's going to have to work really hard. And at the end of it all, as I just mentioned, uh, we die. So the way I end that little sketch is to say, you know, if you find yourself wondering why life is really uh, terrible, what's the story? Why does it have to be this way? I just told you, and all you can say is thank you, Lord. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how I sort of began reading all of these uh, little stories that you think you know. And uh, I found that there's this weird motif and theme of fruit that comes up again and again and again. And in fact, it shows up in, in the next story that's kind of famous in the Bible, Cain and Abel, you know, the brothers right. who can't get along and Cain kills Abel. It turns out, if you go back to it, what what was the root of, of the dispute? Well, Cain and Abel both gave God sort of like a little present, and, and Cain decided to give God a kind of fruit basket, and Abel gave, gave him a sheep. God likes the sheep, hates the fruit basket. Cain overreacts and, and, and kills his brother. But I, I sort of blame Cain because he should have known from his dad, you know, that God had a thing about fruit. So <laughs> who knew that that was really the basis for the, the famous uh, Cain and Abel thing? So I just go through the whole... Um, you know, whole Bible like that. I wrote all these things really fast, so they are, and they're short. So if you have attention deficit disorder, as most people have, you can read my book. You can read them in any order too, especially if you get the electronic version. I don't care. Uh, it's one or two pages, and it's just these little funny bits that sort of raise the question: You know, what is the Bible really about, and what point is it really making, and what does it mean to us today? And I try to do it with humor, which I think is disarming. And so, I mean, even though, I, you know, quite frankly, the book is very radical, but I've gotten, I've had maybe over 40 reviews and almost all of them are positive. But, so I think the, the humor sort of makes people feel a little bit more comfortable to entertain an opposing point of view. Well, I've I've not read it cover to cover, but I have read the little snippets from uh, little segments in here. And, and I, 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 had to, I had to say that at, at the very least, I would chuckle. <laughs> Yeah, well, you have to laugh. Well, you know, the, the whole discourse, political discourse, political religious discourse in this country has become so polarized uh, on just about every topic. And so the question is, how do you find the right language to talk in a way that you can maybe find some common ground, even if people disagree with you? And not to go off on another topic, but, you know, I'm planning to do a book on, on the gun culture, and I've been tweeting about guns, and, uh, you know, I'm on the pro-gun control side of the thing. And I'll tell you, it's it's amazing. It, within 30 seconds of a couple of tweets, it's like every gun advocate in the country is is ganging up on me, and uh, which is great. But And you get this a lot on the Internet because it's so anonymous. There's this tendency to just insult people who disagree with you or to condescend to them and act like they're stupid. And I think we really need to move away from that. So maybe I'm thinking humor is one way of doing that. Well, you, uh, let's just spend a, a minute or two uh, on that issue. Uh, yeah. We we live, uh, and I'm talking to you from uh, 
the great southwest far right state of Arizona. There you go. That's a, and, why I and, brought it up too. Thinking about it. you guys, <laughs> not all of you, but you you are uh, probably and, got, uh, more gun advocates than not out there. Uh, where, where the where the measure of a man is how quick you can draw still today, and whether you or go. not whether or not you have uh, uh, whether or not you show your weapon uh, on your hip as you walk down Main Street. Right. Uh, it, it's 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 pretty amazing. Uh, because I have got engaged, I have engaged in a couple of Facebook um, comment sessions, shall we say, and uh, one in particular, this gentleman that was making his point of view, which is in favor of gun control and uh, at least registration and so on and so forth, was very well reasoned, very well mm-hmm. thought out, did not slander or slam anybody, and uh, and and it was it was well written, and then all of a sudden, here they come. Just like you said, the yeah. armies are marching down the street, and I asked to put, and I posed the question, and I'm trying to think of it if I, I can't think exactly, but I posed the question basically of uh, where do I register for my sportsmanship gun con- and gun owners parade? Oops, I mean mm. going quail hunting with my bazooka and my yeah. tank. Right, exactly. And somebody, and somebody calls back and says, "That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever, you know." Or, or wrote back, and I said, "Frankly, it's no more ridiculous than all the rest of the crap you see on Facebook." Well, uh, we have to register everything, right? I know, I know. I mean, you have to, to have a parade. To your point, you have to register for it and to get a driver's license. Uh, to, you know, just about anything requires some form of ID. So, you know, again, not to get off the point, but if people agree that criminals and mentally ill people shouldn't have guns, well, how do we find out if you're a criminal or mentally ill if we don't do a background check? Exactly. exactly. You know, it, uh, well, it defies logic. It, it really does. And um, so anyway, my point there really was that uh, you, you really touch a nerve on certain topics in this country. Guns are maybe at the top of the list right now, but religion and politics are as well and there's just so much division and it's really not very productive so i really think it's it's and you know cable tv just encourages those kinds of uh, point counterpoint irrational exchanges uh what what i'm saying is you can take a very radical point of view and if you do it with humor you may get more of a hearing than otherwise well, I think you're abs- I think you're absolutely right. And as far as the radical points of view uh, and and the divergence of, of opinion, you had to look no further than the uh, hearings with uh, Hillary Clinton yesterday. Right. I mean, exactly. Some of, things, some of these things these people were saying were, was just absolutely absurd. And our own Senator McCain was leading the parade, talking about a parade. Yes, uh, he was. The great maverick. The great maverick. Yeah, the great <laughs> maverick. Yes, the great man. Uh, that I don't want to get into that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why people thought Hillary would have a hard time with the questions. I think she's kind of experienced at that. <laughs> you know, maybe she's once or twice. Yeah, she's been answering a lot of questions for a long time. I think so, for the last 20 years or so at least. Yes, exactly. So the the, the questions that you bring to light about the Bible uh, are obviously humorous. Uh, is there anything that you uh, look at and in the Bible that you can that you don't see as humorous, or does it all come up in a humorous? Well, way? no. That, well, I deal with it humorously, but a lot of the Bible's not not funny at all. Um, right. I mean, 
For example, if you take a look at Mosaic Law, and people go to some of the pronouncements in those portions of the Bible and, again, base their point of view on it. Let's just take people who are against homosexuals. They, you go to Leviticus and it says, a man shall not lie with a man. Uh, you might remember Rick Santorum, when he was running for the Republican nomination for president, it yeah. came to light that a few years before that, uh, he had made a statement that people were a little bit puzzled by when he was asked about same-sex marriage. And he says, well, uh, you know, you can't have man on man just as you can't have dog on dog. People were thinking, what the heck are you talking about? Bestiality <laughs> and homosexuality are the same. Where did that come from? It came from Leviticus. The very next verse after the prohibition against homosexuality in Leviticus is a prohibition against bestiality. Now, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say that was not a coincidence and that that's what Rick was drawing from. And, but you take a step back and say, wait a second, when was this stuff written? It was like 2,500 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's set aside that you know God was the secret author. Who wrote this thing? What was the culture like then? How many people could even read? Now, there probably wasn't much to read, so you didn't miss much. But I'm going to say like more than 99% of all the people at that time couldn't read at all. There was no indoor plumbing, no concept of science, no concept of history. And these are the people that were looking to in the 21st century for our moral guidance. Then when I take a look at some, you know, some of those statements, which are very harsh, you know, there's a lot of stoning to death there. Yes. Uh, you can get stoned to death for, like, doing work on the Sabbath. It doesn't have to be much. You could be rearranging your closet or doing your laundry, and uh, you deserve to be stoned to death. In fact, there's a guy who is stoned to death. Uh, he's found gathering sticks outside of a camp, He's caught. The people bring him to Moses. Moses goes over to God and says, what should we do with him? And God says, well, kill him. And they actually do. So this is very surprising. So uh, when I think of who best represents that kind of point of view today, it isn't some great moral paragon. I'd have to say it's you know the Taliban. Mm-hmm. And yet this is what people look to. Right. And then, you know, as I mentioned, God invented death. And then how many times did he massacre people, uh, maybe the most famous one is the whole Noah's Ark story. Right. And you'd be surprised how many people, they not only believe the story, they go around looking for the ark. They're, they're, they're searching for rather weathered wood at the top of mountains. Mm-hmm. So, in any, there's a, a lot that's very negative. Um, also, the, the perennial idea that women should be subordinate to men. Mentioned that in the Adam and Eve story. A lot of people believe that, um, you know, uh, think that well, a woman is man's helpmate, and that's the appropriate role, and that there's nothing uh, discriminatory about that. So there's this darker side to the Bible, and surprisingly, at this advanced point in history, there seem to be more and more people who are, are looking to the Bible, the Old Testament view of morality for guidance, and using it to justify their own bigotry and discrimination. So the book is really calling that out, has a very serious intent, but again, always trying to do it. Uh, with satirical humor. Well, uh, the, the, la- the last um, the last four years uh, of political business in this country, uh, and the last election uh, has been absolutely just chocked full of exactly mm. what you said. Right. I mean, and, and anybody, and I don't care, right, left, uh, top, bottom, I don't, I don't care. If if you can't see that, then you are you are walking through life with blinders. Uh, in my estimation. Well, absolutely. You know, and uh, 
used to be that a town hall meeting was just a great forum mm-hmm. for exchanging ideas, and we all saw how in, in recent political campaigns it, it just became uh, you know, almost like a, a kind of metaphorical lynching of whoever was uh, disagreeing with the, the majority of people in the audience. Uh, and that's been a part of the Tea Party phenomenon. So, you know, again, I think that everybody, obviously, we all believe in free speech, the First Amendment, uh, yet we, we seem to be uh, very intolerant when somebody states a point of view that's the opposite of ours. And I'm just saying, let's open up our minds to every point of view. And, again, maybe if you do that with humor, you get a little further. Not necessarily, though, because there are some people who are very touchy, particularly the uh, the gun advocates who stay up all night tweeting. I finally have to go to bed, and I'm a night owl. They just don't stop, but, you know. Yeah, and then yeah. I, I keep my phone on because the tweets come in on the phone with this little sound, and as I'm sleeping all night long, I'm hearing, bing, 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 bing. <laughs> I know I'm being insulted all night long. It's really funny. Oh, jeez, yeah, unbelievable. Well, it, it's, it amazes me because you talk about the rights, and you talk about the rights that uh, people look to the Bible and said that, that we have this right and we have that right. Uh, but when does your right infringe on my right? <laughs> oh, well, that's right. And we always have conflicts between differing um, rights. And we have to find a, a sort of common ground on that. But when it comes to what you think and what you believe, people should be able to think and believe whatever they want as long as they're just voicing those views. Exactly. And we should have respect for each other, too. I mean, so I, well, my, my feeling, too, is if, if you don't respect me, then I don't, you don't deserve to get respect from me, even though I'm still going to speak respectfully. Mm-hmm. But it should be a mutual thing. Yeah, I do agree with that. Um as far as what you did here now with uh, the, the the Bible and uh, and your writings, uh, mm-hmm. how do you think it compares to some of the other comics or comedians that have uh, taken on that book? Well, you know, people compare me to, I mean, at least my agents do, you know, to, to somebody like George Carlin, who unfortunately is gone, and I have a long way to go to, to get to that point, or, you know, Bill Maher would be another example, and again, I'm very modest about that. But I, I think that there has been a bit of a tradition, and I'm happy to be a very small part of it, of people who question things that others uh, take for granted or don't question at all, to your point earlier, not questioning authority, or how you were brought up. You know, that's one of the big excuses for the way people think. Well, it's my upbringing. It's how everybody thinks. And frankly, you do pay a price for that because, uh, you know, just take an example from my own experience. A lot of the people in my family are upset about this book, although typically most of them haven't read it. And they're, they're actually afraid to read the book, I think, because uh, they feel like I'm attacking their beliefs. So, uh, you know, other people have done this before. They've paid a little bit of a price to uh, different satirists and comedians. But I, I think it's worth uh, paying that price to try to get a different point of view across and to do it in a funny way. Well, let, let me ask you another question. I don't, and, uh, and this, and when you when you mentioned Bill Maher, Bill Maher is. Uh, very outspoken about his uh, belief structure or lack of belief structure when it comes mm-hmm. to religious uh, religious areas. Uh, do you parallel his beliefs there, or do you uh, do you have some kind of a, a, a different situation than his? Well, I would consider myself to be an atheist, um, although I'm also interested in uh, physics and string theory. And when you go into string theory, you see that there is actually a scientific basis for believing that there may even be multiple universes. So I'm actually willing to entertain a different point of view, that maybe there are an infinite number of universes with an infinite number of gods, and we just got the underachiever. 
So maybe <laughs> there is a God out there, but this is sort of like his mulligan. Uh, he didn't really quite know what he was doing. He was sort of in his ha- Harry Potter period. Because uh, as I say in, in my little uh, satirical sketch on, on the book of Job, which is all about the origin of good and evil and how everything got here, I mean, everything in the universe must have come from God. He's the creator. So why did he think it was such a great idea to have all sorts of different uh, natural disasters? You know, uh, if if you were God creating a universe, would you have, you know, hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes, mudslides, volcanic eruptions, lightning strikes? I don't think so. And then why did he think things like viruses and and bacteria were such wonderful ideas, uh, you know, E. coli, HIV, herpes, these are all good ideas. So maybe he just wasn't totally in control of what he was doing. and Things got a little bit away from himself. And, uh, you know, like black holes. If you were God, would you want black holes sucking up like gigantic vacuum cleaners, massive portions of your of your precious creation? I don't think so. Right, right. So, so- I, I waver between atheism and, and thinking that, you know, infinite number of universes, infinite number of gods, and we got the dumb one. Mm, okay. <laughs> Lucky the draw. <laughs> there you go. Well, even some trivial stuff like uh, male pattern baldness, and it's a terrible joke to play on men, hangnails, runny nose, snoring, bad breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I sort of think of God as, as a, just a cosmic practical joker, well, getting right. a kick out of all of this stuff and making us miserable. Like in my case, I have eye floaters. Uh-huh. Have you ever had an eye floater? They're really annoying. They're the, like some little thing falls apart in your eye and you see the shadow. Exactly. Of the, of the viscous fluid. So I had one in my right eye. And then uh, maybe it was a punishment. I was in Vegas two weeks ago. Boom, I got one in my left eye. So the practical jokes go on. Well, yes, and, and it's tough to have them when, when you're in the middle of your backswing and something else. Goes. Yes, it is. It's very <laughs> distracting. And I don't know what I'm going to do about it. Um <laughs> So, yeah, so that's sort of my view on the whole existence of God question. Well, and I uh, hope he's there, too, because I have all these questions to ask him. I really I really hope that uh, we, we have a chance because I've more than a few bones to pick with him. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if he is all-powerful, uh, all-knowing, uh, and so on and so forth, uh, that's what leads to the questions, why me, Lord? Uh, or why did this happen to us? Or... Well, exactly. Especially the all-knowing thing is a big sticking point if you think about it. Uh, if he knows everything that's going to happen before it happens, what's up with that? I mean, from the Adam and Eve story to you know hell, which I say is really the most popular idea in the history of all religion because people just love it. They don't mm-hmm. think they're going there, but just about everybody else is. Right. And so right. Uh, why would the all-knowing God create a universe in which uh, 99.999, et cetera, percent of all people end up going to hell? Hard to say. That's, yeah, one, of my, well, that's one of my questions right there, uh, Boomer. You just put your finger on it. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and if, I, you get, if, you get the answer, if you get the answer before me, which I really don't hope you don't, but if you get yes. the answer before me, get it back to me somehow. Would you? That's <laughs> right, except it, it seems like the alternative is really boring, heaven. I mean, at least in the Catholic tradition, heaven is the so-called beatific vision, which means you spend eternity staring at God. Mm-hmm. I think that would get old after five or ten minutes, and I think I'd protest by keeping my eyes closed, you know. Well, yeah, who who is it that gets the virgins? Uh, well, that's a different religion, uh, you know, altogether. So, you right. know, yeah, maybe the Islamic heaven's a little bit more interesting. Um, 
but I don't know if they serve alcohol, so you know. Oh uh, yeah, you know. You know, if if it's all set in a bar, twenty four seven bar. I just mentioned Vegas, and I'm I'm down with that. Whether they call it heaven or hell, I don't care. The virgins in the bar, that would be good. Uh, how this, this is, must have been quite an undertaking. How long did it take you? Guess what? It didn't take long at all. I read the whole Bible and I wrote the whole book in um, just a few weeks, seven weeks. I'm really, really? I'm really fast. I actually have already written a sequel too, which is a satire of the Catholic Church. It's called Popery, you know, which is P O T P O U R R I means like miscellaneous musings and observations. It's a play on the word Popery, P O P E R Y, which is kind of mild insult toward the Pope. And the subtitle is the cultural arsonist calls out the Catholic Church. So that took me a little longer because it's two thousand years of history, but I wrote that in about two and a half months. So that'll come out later this year. Um so just when people are you know just getting to the height of annoyance with this first book, I'm putting out another one that's even more annoying. Do you care to give us any uh uh little teeny preview of uh, what's in that other book? Well, you know, I, I again I go back through the history of the Catholic Church and, and look into the origins of, of everything. And I grew up Catholic, so I was always told it was the one true religion, you know, like there was this inevitability about right. the Catholic religion. And it turns out that it, because of uh, Constantine, the Roman Empire, you know, the, the Roman Empire was always against Christians and throwing them the lions, but it flipped at a certain point. It became the state religion. And basically, that's why, you know, Catholicism survived. And then uh, they started persecuting all of the other uh, points of view at the time, like Gnosticism, and there were all these different beliefs. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, but I just probe a lot of the the different, um, what I see as kind of crazy and irrational ideas within the Catholic Church. And then there are also serious uh, topics that I address, too, like you know the whole uh, sex abuse scandal. Mm. And uh, even give some, uh, you know, little tidbits from my own personal history uh, growing up, etc. So it's it's another book that's very funny. It's probably a little edgier because I you know, grew up Catholic and didn't have uh, the same uh, dispassionate point of view that I do about the Bible. But, yeah, that should be out later this year. Now, did you give that the same type of uh, treatment yep. as this book with regard to short uh, yes, essays? Yes, exactly. Or? It's all, you know, very quick-hitting stuff and... Uh, Funny questions and funny takes on uh, on the Catholic Church. Uh, a lot of funny things in, in Catholic Church history too, like you know the Inquisition and the Crusades. They they were hilarious, and I I treat them with due respect. Uh, is this uh, is that something to rival uh, uh, the Book of Mormon on uh, on Broadway? Well, again, that's my PR agent, so I'm glad that they said that. But uh, have you seen the Book of Mormon? It is very funny. I have not uh, seen it. No. Yes, but here's what's surprising to me, and I saw it on, on Broadway. The, the Book of Mormon is so over-the-top obscene and outrageous, and uh, it seemed to me almost the entire audience were tourists. I mean, some of them might have even been from Arizona, for example. They were just laughing their heads off at, at this stuff. And uh, I thought it was kind of interesting because, I mean, I, the Book of Mormon goes is way more offensive than anything I'm saying. But uh, but uh, all of the uh, the tourists from the heartlands of America found it very very funny, found it hilarious. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, so is uh, if it if it took you what how many how many months seven months you said? No, seven weeks to write this seven, book. Seven yeah, weeks. I wrote the, everything like emails. This is how I, I write these days, um, and I don't know how long I'm going to be able to keep this up. 
because writers, you know, fear writer's block, and, and writing is so terrible, and it hasn't been that way. I just get an idea, and I just run with it. It's almost like the beat poets used to do, you know. Yes. And it's not like I don't tweak anything, but really just about the entire book is, is just maybe almost like a first draft. And uh, I, I think it actually helps if you get into the energy of an idea, and it's very associative, and you just go from one little thing to another. And so the 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 way everything's connected is through a series of jokes. Is it safe to say that it's almost stream of consciousness? Well, it's not stream of consciousness in the sense that uh, it's it's not logical and it's hard to follow and <clears throat> it's way out there. But it, it, you know, one thing does lead to another logically, and everything is connected. And uh, it was I'm, I'm doing stand-up comedy now too, and I wrote my routine like a 40 minutes of comedy in about 40 minutes. So I just write the stuff really fast. And I also do um, articles for Huffington Post Gay Voices, and I've been writing those articles really fast. So I'm sure I'm going to wake up one day and uh, I'll just be completely uh, blocked up, but it hasn't happened yet. Shriveled up and... Uh... <laughs> yes, right. It's a fear of mental constipation, but it hasn't occurred yet. It's it's yeah. all been... Yes, the the, uh, the mental excretory system is in fine shape. The plumbing <laughs> up there is, is working very well right now. I but I don't take way. anything for granted. Uh, I love the way you say things. What part of the Bible did you find confusing, if any? Confusing or? Yeah, confusing. Confusing. Well, I'll bring up something that really does uh, confuse me, and nobody seems to talk about it. You know, let's just switch to the New Testament, which, you know, great reverence for Jesus, and I actually, you know, I'm pretty... uh, Positive on Jesus. I say Jesus is cool. In fact, I've been criticized by a couple of reviewers that I go too easy on him. But here's the thing. We're all very skeptical about everything these days. You know, we don't believe anything that we're told. You go back and you look at when the Gospels were written, and it turns out the earliest Gospels were written more than three decades after Jesus supposedly died. And, uh, you know, the most recent uh, I shouldn't say most recent, but the, the gospel that was written uh, many years later, John, was like 60 years later. So what's confusing to me is why everybody literally takes the gospels as gospel. How do we know that any of that stuff happened if it was written by advocates decades later? I mean, imagine if we just heard about Watergate last week from G. Gordon Liddy. I think it would be a little bit different from the Woodward and Bernstein version. So I don't hear anybody talking about that, and then people are always looking for the historical Jesus. But uh, why does everybody just believe these stories? I mean, they're, they're wonderful stories, but what actually happened? And then the funny thing is there are so many scenes where you say to yourself, who is the source? Like you were reading the little uh, PR blurb about Jesus and the devil in the desert. There's nobody else there. Right. How do we find out what, who was the source? Did Jesus tell the, the gospel writers Supposedly he was dead, or did the devil pop up and give his version of it? Um, there are all these stories about angels appearing to people in dreams, like Joseph, the the so-called foster father of Jesus, uh, warning him to, to flee because Herod is going to kill all the little boy babies. Well, who was the source of that information to the gospel writers? Was it the angel? I don't think so. Joseph disappears like Jimmy Hoffa without explanation when Jesus is 12 years old. You never hear from him again. Nobody explains why. So what's the source of those stories? So what is confusing to me, if we can use that word, is why nobody is questioning any of that stuff, except me right now. I 
Exactly, exactly. What what amazes me, and when you when you when you're talking about you're talking about Jesus, and what amazes me is how people can say that politically they can they can say that they're one thing, and then they can cite Jesus, and uh, and say that uh, this is the way it should be. When I, I somebody wrote something and I and I don't know who to uh, attribute it to, but it says Jesus sounds like a liberal to me, uh, but he's trying to fit into square peg facts in a round hole. Uh, they're with their tiny brains and they're 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 too busy beating people over the head with a book, the Bible, mm-hmm. that they have, that they have never read, and and I and I I think that's a, a pretty true statement myself. Well, that's really my point. Have all these people who quote the Bible read the whole thing, or are they just quoting the passages that seem to support their point of view? Uh, and, you know, you can really take a, a little piece of anything and twist it to anything you want. Uh, people think of Jesus as being all about peace and love, but he makes countless statements about hell. You know, I, I have a little sketch called uh, Nobody's Perfect, and, you know, guess who talks about hell and damnation a whole lot? It's Jesus may seem out of character. I guess nobody's perfect. Now, back to the point I made a few minutes ago about whether the sources, were these words put into his mouth by the gospel writers, or did he really talk about it? I don't know. Uh, He is mostly talking about peace and love, and then all of a sudden uh, he goes into fire and brimstone. From a literary point of view, it seems to be out of character. It seems like uh, these are words that were put into his mouth, but who knows? So you can come up with any Jesus that you want, really. Well, here's one that this guy came up with. Try this one on. Uh, You want to watch conservative Christians' head explode, point out to them that Jesus fed the hungry, sheltered the homeless, healed the sick without copay, gave them a gift of eternal life for free, and stood against the religious establishment of the day and laid down his life for others. And you call him a liberal. (laughs) Right. Well, one of the uh, gun advocates uh, said to me that liberalism is the road to tyranny. So I guess he wouldn't necessarily... (laughs) <laughs> agree. I, I wasn't quite sure what he meant by that. So I don't think that was the road to tyranny in Iran or North Korea. But, you know, again, these are all uh, kind of shifting sands, yes, an appropriate metaphor, since we're talking about stuff that was written in the middle desert a couple thousand years ago. And you can read into the Bible anything that you want, really. And it's all self-justifying. Right. So what, what if I'm you... Just, Go ahead. No, I'm just saying I think we all need to be open to different points of view and uh, not be so doctrinaire about what we think because that's when you stop thinking. That's when you stop learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what have you found out about uh, people's gullibility? Uh, well, that's what I was just talking about. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there's an endless supply. I mean, it just never yeah. stops. Well, we all think that we're very skeptical and cynical and people are very sarcastic, and yet if you go back and look at what they're saying, it looks like they've believed things that they haven't really examined for themselves. Right. And uh, that's why I I think it's really uh, a revelation to go back to the source, read the entire Bible from beginning to end, and you will be surprised over and over again about what is really there. And, you know, in a book that long, covering all those uh, expanses of time, I mean, there are bound to be contradictions uh, throughout. And, uh, you know, I, again, I look at this, and I I look at it from a literary point of view. I mentioned I have a Ph.D. in English. Uh, 
Uh, you look at the Old Testament God is totally different from the New Testament God. And then we're told Jesus is God and even the Holy Spirit, although he likes to show up as a bird. So we have four gods, which is the real one. Or did God evolve over time? What, what's up with that? Uh, even in the New Testament, if you read what Jesus says, then after he dies, Paul takes over. It's almost like it's another religion. He's all about rules. He's all about telling everybody that they're bad and going to go to hell. He is uh, anti-gay. He's pro-slavery. He actually returns a slave to his master. He does advise the master to let the guy go, but I don't think that's what you or I would do if we, we found a slave. Uh, and he's very much into the subordination of women. It doesn't sound like Jesus at all. So you can pick and choose whatever you want. Yeah, so right, the so Bible. Whichever version of God you like, whichever version of Christianity you like, whether it's Jesus' version or the Apostle Paul's. Well, one of the, one of the things that uh, it was suggested to me that I pose as a, as a question to you was uh, if you had the opportunity to sit down with one of the four writers of the true life story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, who would it be and why? Well, I think maybe John would be the most interesting because his Gospels are a little bit different. The first thing I'd like to ask him is, did he really show up at the crucifixion? Because the other three guys say he didn't. Uh, that's the interesting thing about all four of the different Gospels, that they are different in the details, uh, particularly about the resurrection, which we're told is the most important event in history. It's uh, Go back and check it. it. It gets one paragraph in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In each case, there are different people there, and different things happen. So uh, I'd love to talk to any one of these guys, but probably John, because his version is different, and just check with him on... You know, also, what were his sources? How did he find out about this stuff? How did they know about the conversation between Pontius Pilate and Jesus? Nobody else was there. Or how did they know that Judas went back to the chief priest after he betrayed Jesus, and he felt guilty, wanted to give back the 30 pieces of silver, and they told him, no, it's too late, and he went out and hanged himself. He wasn't the source of that. I don't think the, uh, the bad guys were. So how did he find out all of this stuff? Uh, so... Yeah, I'd love to have a, a conversation with any of them, but uh, I'd pick John. And he was also supposed to be the favorite uh, apostle. I'd like well, to find was... out how, how he got into Jesus' good graces, too. Lots and lots of questions, and endless questions. You, I'm sure you'd love to have him on your program, too. Oh, yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. Uh, they must have been standing in different parts of the crowd and having different point, and different vantage points. Yeah, it must have been like that, you know, a, a grassy knoll type of thing. It depends on where you're looking. You see one gunman or multiple gunmen, but... Yeah, that they, uh, the the little details don't really add up. Yeah, one guy's in the bleachers, the other guy's in the box seats. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Re related to things that I understand. Yes. <laughs> Sporting events. Uh, uh, which of, of all the things that you wrote, of all the uh, uh, the essays, snippets. Uh, uh, what did you call them? Uh, sketches. They're really sketch, like little sketch, sketches. Yeah. Comic sketches. Yeah, little bits. Which Which one is the one that is closest to your heart? Well, again, I do have a soft spot for Jesus, and I'm criticized for that. Amazingly, I, I sort of like the little sketch that I wrote called "Jesus the Miracle Worker." Because mm -hmm. uh, here's another surprising thing: when you read through the Old Testament, it turns out there are a couple of guys there who did a lot of the stuff that Jesus does. You know, people think, well, how could anybody have done some of the things he did, like the loaves and the fishes story where there's this inexhaustible yes. 
supply of food. You go back and read about the exploits of Elijah and Elijah. They sort of did that same stuff. They even raised people from the dead. So then I was thinking about Jesus, and, you know, we don't know anything about him until he's a a man, and yet he comes out there and he's doing all of these miracles. But did he just have that ability always, or did he have a kind of Harry Potter period where he was practicing at home? And so I figure he he was probably a, a biblical scholar, and he was modeling himself on those prophets, the guy like Elisha, and there were some kind of silly little miracles, or I call them tricks, that he might have been able to practice with at home. Like, there's a story about Elijah. He's followed around by these uh, uh, guys who are always getting into trouble, and one day uh, they've cooked up a stew, and it's just absolutely terrible. It's almost poisonous because they put it together with mushrooms and gourds and so forth, and Elijah is able to sprinkle some flour on it and make it taste just wonderful. And I, I imagine that, you know, Jesus and Mary and Joseph are at home, and Maybe every once in a while Mary cooked up something that just didn't taste that good. She'd you know, walk out of the, the dining room there, and Joseph would give a little wink to Jesus, and he'd sprinkle something on the food. And when she came back, he'd say, oh, Mom, this is just the most delicious dinner of all time. So I go into this whole thing and, and trace his tricks and his miracles, and it's kind of a light-hearted look at Jesus, uh, the miracle worker. So that's maybe one of my but- that's that sounds great. <laughs> I like. I, I I did not see that in the book, but I will go looking for it. Right now, for the Old Testament, I like the Noah's Ark story. As I said, like people not only believe it, they go, believe it. They go looking for the ark, and this is another case where I'm just thinking literally about this. So we're supposed to think that Noah was able to gather up at least two, and it turns out it's much more than that. The clean animals there were more than a pair of each, but first question is, how big was the ark? And I give the dimensions. But it turns out that there are at least a million species of animals on the face of the earth that scientists have already identified. And they speculate that there may be as many as 8 million. So how big was this boat? And I'm thinking it would have to be at least the size of the state of Rhode Island, or maybe even the state of, of Arizona. And, you know, how did Noah and his family round up all of the disparate and far-flung species, marooned as they were in the Middle East? I mean, who went out and picked up the polar bears and the penguins? Where was the nearest elephant? What about the kangaroos and the kiwis? Were they all on board? And then there's the question of scale. What was the cutoff point? I mean, I, I imagine there were insects, too, right? right. Did, he, did he include bed bugs? They reproduce sexually, and they're visible. Uh, so... That's another story that I like. And the funny thing, here we go again, go back and read that story. Uh, you know, after the 40 days and 40 nights of rain and Noah's there with the animals, I'm sure they all breathed a big sigh of relief when it finally stopped raining, including the animals. But it turns out, as soon as they got onto dry land, God told Noah to sacrifice some of the animals in praise for him having, you know, stopped the rain. And so as soon as a bunch of the animals got off, they had their heads chopped off. That wasn't very nice. No, not nice no, at all. But that's a big parable on life. You know, just when you think things are, are getting better, they're going to get worse again real fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that reminds me of that uh, that little cartoon that everybody, has, I'm sure, has seen, the, the two dinosaurs sitting on top of a mountain that says, oh, that was today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that, that was today. Uh, couldn't remember when the flood was going to be, so they didn't get on the boat. Uh, pretty there amazing, you go. Pretty amazing stuff. Well, I tell you, I, it's I, I'm looking at the clock in the mall here, and, I, and we're down to the short rows, as they say in the farmland. 
Yes. Uh, uh, we need to tell everybody how they can get hold of your book. And uh, Okay, the shameless and, and plugging what, here. I've got well, a whole list of ways people can get in touch with me. Shameless uh, self-promotion time. That's Absolutely. right. I'm not giving out my cell phone number, but uh, you can find me uh, at my website. It's joewenke.org, J-O-E-W-E-N-K-E. I mentioned my uh, enthusiastic uh, tweeting, so you can find me on Twitter, at joewenke, and the tweets show up on my Facebook page, and all you have to do there is like me, which may be difficult, but if you like me, you'll get the tweets on Facebook. I'm a contributor to Huffington Post Gay, and increasingly I'm a sort of an LGBT activist. I'm not gay myself. I consider myself to be trisexual, which means I'm primarily attracted to transgender women. And I should point out that the beautiful model on the cover of my book is a good friend of mine, Giselle Extravaganza, and she is a transgender woman. And uh, I just did a, a continuing the, the gay theme, I just did an interview for a web-based magazine called Revolutionary Gay, which is very funny. They send you the questions, and you can come up with all sorts of uh, crazy answers. So, And then from time to time, I do stand-up comedy. I just did a, a set at the Gotham Comedy Club uh, Tuesday night in Manhattan. So if you're in New York City, you might might see me or run into me at one of the comedy clubs. What's so I'm all of, over the place. What's the chance of you coming in and doing a comedy club in Arizona? Uh, it's great. You know, I am, I'm going to be traveling around anyway when I do this gun book. My idea is I'm really just going to travel around and talk to everybody mm. and let them tell their own stories. Which, so the gun show people and gun stores and even, you know, people in gangs and gun runners and police and all of that. So I'll be all over the country. And, uh, there's a decent chance I'll be out your way. Well, make, sure you ask, make sure you ask Sheriff Juro Arpaio for protection. Yes. I, I Actually, I think that would be funny, although they have to be unarmed. I, I'd like to go to some of these gun shows like the big one in Oklahoma City and, you know, asking questions but have sort of bodyguards around me, and they're all off-duty policemen, and they're all like 300 pounds and big, but nobody has a gun. Hmm. And I may have a film crew, too, you know, sort of a Michael Moore type thing. There you go. There you yes. go. Yes. And the name of the gun book is going to be Guns Are People, Too. Because, you know, the NRA is always saying guns don't kill people, people kill people. My response is guns are people, too. Yeah, there you go. There's such an obsession with guns. It's almost like it's you're, you're married to your guns or it's a, a fetish. Yeah. That, that's the idea behind that. Well, I, uh, it's it's absolutely amazing what you've uh, what you've done here with the Bible, I, I have to admit. I, uh, I, what I what little I've read of it so far is has been a lot of fun to read, and I will be uh, taking a look at the rest of it. There's no doubt, and I like the fact that you can you can read it uh, if you choose to in one sitting, or you can uh, absolutely sit and just uh, pick it up and put it down, pick it up, put it down. Uh, another little uh, section here, another little section there. I think I think that's a great way of writing it. I, uh, and I yeah. appreciate appreciate the way you put it together. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, well, with that, I think we're going to have to say goodbye, and I do appreciate also the fact that you spent an hour with me today. That's uh, It's been a great, uh, fun hour, and I, I enjoyed it listening to your insights. And, I, and if you do come to Arizona, I hope I get notified, and uh, we'll see what we can do about stopping by and uh, listening to your, uh, to your stand-up or whatever it is that you're doing at the time. Well, that's tremendous. Thanks so much, Bomer. It was really my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Joe. Take care. Good luck Thank to you. Thank you. You take care, too. Have a great day. And we've been listening to Mr. Joe Winky, the cultural arsonist, literal reading of the Bible. You've got, uh, you've got to be kidding is the title of the book, and uh, any number of ways you can get it. And I'm sure that if you just uh, go.
Google Joe Winky. You'll probably be able to find it there, and it'll end up taking you to any of the sources for the book that he mentioned on the show. With that, we're going to say goodbye, and we hope you had a great uh, great morning or afternoon of listening to our program today. We certainly had a good time bringing it, and so have a great day, and we'll be back again tomorrow with more conversation. Thanks again for listening. Take care, everybody. interesting conversation to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter where we tweet as Boomer and Babe and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.